Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, MrDiceGuy.com, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. I'm your host, Norm. I'm Ryan. I'm Ian. And on this episode, we're talking about what we've been playing, thinking, and doing about board games. And Ryan, do you want to set us up for the wonderful interview that you had? Yeah, I had the opportunity of interviewing Travis Jones, the um, designer of the new hot game coming out very shortly, Pendulum by Stonemeyer Games. Cardboard Conjecture is proudly sponsored by Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street in Saskatoon. They are the winner of the Joe Schuster Award for Best Comic Book Store in Canada, and they were also nominated in 2016 for the U.S. Eisner Spirit of Comics Retailer Award presented at Comic-Con. Amazing Stories, amazing collection of comic books, board games, puzzles, and collectibles can be found in their store or on their new online website. And we are back. This is Cardboard Conjecture, and we're going to talk about what we've been playing, thinking, and doing. So, um, uh, Ryan, um, I'll, I'll get you going on this one. Uh, I see that you've got a game that I've always had my eye on, but I've never, never, I haven't even started researching it. So, sure. Well, this is a this is actually a game that sat on my shelf of shame there for a long time. <laughs> I, I had purchased it, um, unboxed it had everything ready to go and then i don't know why i just never ever got a chance to play it um physically but then i saw on yukata.de they just released a digital implementation of it and this is a game called hadara um designed by benjamin schwer and in, in north america here it's it's published by uh, z-man games um or asmoday i guess i should just say asmoday because then that covers everything these days <laughs> big umbrella but um, Hadara is, I'm going to put it in the same vein as kind of like a civilization light builder, but more in the vein of like a seven wonders type of game. It's mm. everything is card based. Cool. And what you do on your turn is you just literally, um, there's five different resources that you can collect. And what you do on your turn is you pick up two cards from a certain pile and then what you have to do, you have to make a choice. You just either, you have to discard one and then you either have to play the other card or the other card can just turn into money for you. So much like Seven Wonders, you either can play it or you can discard it for the money. And what you're going to do is you do this around and then there's a second part of the phase. Now all those cards that got discarded now become draftable by all the players. So now you take turns and you draft all the cards that just got discarded. So all the cards that were in the game are in the game. When you discard something, it can be actually picked up by another player. And all these cards do is they just increase you, like you increase military, increase civilization, increase income, increase all the different uh, types of resources that you can gather. And yeah, you do three eras, much like Seven Wonders. Things get much more expensive over the course of the eras much like seven wonders, but it plays very differently. It's not a pure drafter like seven wonders where you start with all your cards and then you just pick and pass. This one's got a, a little bit different drafting mechanism in, in, in play. Um, I only mentioned that I, I was playing this online because I just thought, Hey, it's a really kind of cool game. Um, I don't know if I like playing it online anymore rather than I because Jen and I just tried playing it two player, which I might add it, it's fantastic at two players, not much like Seven Wonders. Seven Wonders is not that great at two player, but the two player of this is actually really good. I don't like it online because the way the online implementation works is I can see how many points the my opponents have mm -hmm. all the time. Yeah. Whereas if I'm playing it face to face with somebody, it, it, that that that's revealed at the end of the game. You don't exactly know how well somebody's doing until the end of the game when you add up all the points at the very end the big reveal there's no big reveal in 
the online thing where you just always see, oh man, I'm trailing so-and-so by five points. I really need to kind of, you know, step it up. I don't have that information when I play it face-to-face. Okay. So. Um, I've never even heard of this before. It, I, I only got um, on my radar because I'm a friend of ours, Dave, Dave Stevenson from uh, Board on the Air. He mentioned it to me that they were that they had played it once at a at a Friday night game night, and he really enjoyed it. He said it was kind of he says like that very Seven Wonders like, but it's a but it, this one caps out at five players, not seven. Mm-hmm. So it's only a, it's a two to five player game, and he says it plays very quickly. It's got those civ building aspects where you got like your military track, your income track, and all the, all these kind of stuff, and you convert things into points or you buy cards to get points and stuff like that it's sounding very much like seven wonders to me (laughs) yeah very much except for the main difference is that in seven wonders you have to draft those resource cards in order to play something uh, uh, later on this one everything you play uh, is going to cost you money so so it's a minor detail that makes it a little bit different and the way that you draft the cards okay Uh, that that that's really the big difference the big, the big difference. And you don't have those asymmetric um, player boards that, that give you the different abilities and everything like that. I don't know. I thought it was really neat. It, it plays pretty decently well online, except for now that I've played it in person. Uh, I rather play it in person because I don't know how many points my opponents are getting. And apparently in Europe, it's got like a, a bazillion expansions. Oh, wow. And by a bazillion, I mean, I'm just going to pull it up here um uh four <laughs> <laughs> okay but they're not i don't think any of those are released in uh, north america here well, okay ha- hands down if you had the option to play would you play this or would you play seven wonders well this right now because i've played so much seven wonders <laughs> okay well, <laughs> in my day but so this as, is as a, a, as a pure a fresh, drafter yeah. as a pure drafter seven wonders does it better but this um, is fresher this one's fresher it's got a minor it, it, it just plays a little bit differently. It's very hard to explain without actually actually playing it. Okay, cool. So Hadara, check it out. If, if, you, if you like Seven Wonders, you, you actually might like this. All right. Um, uh, Ian, do you, uh, do you want to go next? Do you want me to go? Oh, uh, sure. Yeah, the... I've, I've been playing a few games lately. And... <gasps> what? I know. It's nice. I'm excited about one of those because I got it in the mail today or the, the other day. Really? Well, yeah. Okay. Well, which one do you want me to talk about? Then? Well, I, I, um, Glenn Moore. I got the Chronicles in. Yeah. And yeah. I, and I have the original too. And I think. Okay. Uh, when Ryan, when you purchased it, we both purchased it at the same time because it was a going oh, yeah. out Glenn, of print import. Yeah, Glenn yeah. Moore is fantastic. Yeah. yeah, it's a really good game. It's um, I like the way that you get your tiles right because it's it's a moving around the track thing that you do and you um basically you move as far ahead to get any tile you want all the tiles that are there you can pick anyone you want but if you go too far up you're going to be waiting a long time before it's your turn again so you kind of want to strategically figure out what should you take that still keeps you going without taking you out of the game for too long and Oh yeah, it's a really good game. I I really like that as a mechanism in 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 certain these in these Brondell-ish, um games where you, you can go far ahead to get what you want, but you're going to wait. Right. That's very like they're very like Takedo. Oh yeah, yep. does this does that very does that very well. Um, another game um, that I play is called Heaven and Ale. It's got a very similar. Mechanism. I played that you with just, you. Yeah, you can just jump straight ahead, but you're gonna wait. Yeah, yeah, and it's very easy to catch on to right like it's you now, just pick a tile you want to go to and then you wait till it's back to you again it's I also like the way, really easy to catch on to have I you like played the, way the original that, no. sorry have you played the original this yeah is this is the original about. i'm talking okay about. Yeah. okay so you don't so you don't uh, we're not talking about chronicles at all we just aren't no. oh because no. they decided to talk they decided to name it <laughs> glenmore 2 and there's no way i was buying a game called glenmore 2 when i didn't have glenmore 1 oh we're back That's to ridiculous. that past episode of i'm not jumping into a series <laughs> no except for star wars episode 4 anything yeah <laughs> okay so hey the original yeah absolutely i love the original 
It's just yeah. nice yeah. and clean and, and, and that whole mechanism. And I like, the, tri- I like the, way and the triggering. The yeah, yeah I like the way how you trigger your tiles by where you place them. You get the trigger, all the ones that are around it. Right. The one thing that's not very intuitive is the scoring method, but I like that because it's different than the way you score in other games. Other games, you know, you score this many points for having this or whatever. But in this one, it's all comparative and relative to all the other players. You score this many points if you've got three more than whoever has the least amount of whiskey, Mm -hmm. for example. Mm -hmm. So if I've got three whiskey and Brett's got one whiskey, I get two points or whatever it is. So that's an interesting aspect too that I... I What I I like too is, is when you're building your town with that idea that you can trigger a lot of things you don't want to you don't want to leave a tile deep in the middle where it's like inaccessible to be triggered so the way that this town grows is so interesting and i think i can't remember but there's isn't there like a catch-up mechanism or a penalty in regards to how big your town is versus your yeah yeah if you make it too big yeah if you make it too big and somebody's got a really small town then yeah you're gonna lose points you're gonna get penalized so yeah, cool. yeah, one more is very, very good. good. Uh, Matthias Kramer, right? I think. I believe. Yeah. Yes, I believe so. And you just got the new one. I just got the uh, the second. So okay. I guess I guess I did it in the pro. Did I do it in the proper order? Yeah, you're okay. okay. All right, you're fine. You have one and two. You're good. Uh, you <laughs> have. But do you have you have the you have the German version, don't you, Norm? Yes, I do. Yeah, uh-huh. I have the, my, and my the, mind's actually in English. Is it? Yeah, I got I the B, I got the BGG uh, download uh, English uh, translations. It's hilarious. <laughs> so, but I mean, some of them are pretty obvious. It's like, okay, well, there's meat hanging in the picture. I, I think that's the butcher shop. <laughs> <laughs> das right Wurf. So cool. Well, that I, we that would be a good game for all of us to play once we get back to the ability to play games together face to face, which okay. is ca- kind of tied into what Ryan was talking about with Yukata and Hadara. That is like, I I think Ian and I uh, were talking about uh, the idea that this is great to have this opportunity to play face to face, but I mean to play online. But man, I miss it the whole playing with a group of people in the yeah. same room. Well, and, uh-huh. and that, that, that's relevant with lots of games on Yukata. They, they accumulate the points as you kind of like do things. It, it's not just Hadara. It's all like lots of games. Um, Castle, well, I guess Castles of Burgundy is a bad example because you do, do add up all your points as long as, as, as you go along in that game. Mm-hmm. But lots of the games, you, yeah. it, you, you always know how you're standing in comparison to all the other players. Right. And it's not like when you're playing it in person, it's not like you couldn't figure that out, but you don't, right? Like I don't, every turn I'm not saying, okay, Ryan's got this many points. Norm's got this many points. You just play the game and there's something just kind of freeing yeah. about that. Yeah, I that, understand what you mean. Yeah, that, that's, that's where people are like the AP people are, that's what they're doing. They're, 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 they're calculating the and, then they're, yeah. and then they're trying to come up with their optimal move. Well, I had the opportunity to actually have some people over. Um, uh, I had a, the big gazebo. I sent pictures to you guys. Got the big uh, uh, 15 foot by 15 foot screen gazebo in the backyard with a big table in it. And uh, uh, um, a friend of mine and his son came over and we had a D&D session. Nice. So Going old school. I think I don't, I don't, I'm just going to throw this out there, but I think out of all three of us, I probably have the most RPG experience. Oh yeah. Under the belt. Zero. Okay. So, um, uh, uh, I, I, I'll say, I'll say I've been playing D and D since, um, uh, like, uh, the people that are captured in stranger things that era since like, <laughs> yeah, since I was in the, at the Goonies age. Um, uh, so were you a first edition player? I was, uh, I played uh, AD, uh, advanced AD&D, second edition. Okay. AD, and and edition I, I played, I started out with the, with basically the paper copy with a staple in it that you had to mail order. That was my <laughs> first, yeah, that was my first kind of like uh, um, jump into it. And then when AD&D second edition came out, then went hardcore and, and, and that was basically the system that I used. It, it went on to like, you know, third, um, uh, you know several other editions but now it's at the fifth edition um with a, an amazing team of like writers and designers adapting all these things 
to uh, make it a real smooth system. Um, I think just from what I know, the difference between the two now that I'm really deep into the fifth edition uh, rule set is that um, there's no, this isn't one of those like uh, GMT war games where, okay, you rolled this number. Now we have to go to this chart. And then now it says that we have to go to this chart to determine you jumped, uh, you know, three feet in the air. Did anything happen? Um, I think that's what crippled it last time. So this time it's all narrative driven, right? This difficulty check, right? You know, if you're, if you're describing how you're going to do something, then as the DM, you quickly process considering the realms of, uh, 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 the ability roles that you, you know, you, you constructively create uh, obstacles for them. So um, I just absolutely love RPG stuff. Um, yeah, I'm having a lot of fun getting back into D&D 5th edition. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is proudly sponsored by Dragon's Den Games, located in the Louis VIII Mall on H Street in Saskatoon. Swing by Dragon's Den Games and let Darren, Al, and the awesome staff help you out in search for great board games, role-playing games, miniature systems, and all of the related accessories. Be a part of their gaming communities that have scheduled events in their great gaming area. Dragon's Den Games, Louis VIII Mall on H Street in Saskatoon. Welcome back to the show. This is uh, our, our newest segment that we like to be continuing on. Last week, or last episode, I guess we should say, Norm had the, introdu- uh, the pleasure to be interviewing um, Emma Larkins about her newest game. And I reached out on Twitter. And this week, we are going to be saying hi to Mr. Travis Jones. Say hi to the one yeah. listener that we're going to have hey, you have uh, here. Hello, everybody. That's, <laughs> that's right. They can't see my video, so I'm, I'm nodding my head like an idiot. But yeah, hello, everyone. Well, I, um, I I'm that. really happy I'm to be here, Ryan. I'm a hand talker, so people miss <laughs> out on everything on this side. All right, all right. So if, you, in, if you're in the board gaming community and you haven't been paying attention to some of the hot news lately, um, Travis Jones here, he is the now published game designer of a new game coming out from Stonemaier Games called Pendulum, which is, it's it's all, it's all the rave right now. So, (laughs) um, and and this, this is a pretty new, this is actually obviously pretty new for you since this is your first published. Yes, definitely new for me. I mean, I I, I love the attention. I I have much thanks and gratitude for Jamie with with Stonemaier Games to take a chance. because I mean, I hope the idea of the game interests people some, but uh, but I'm not naive enough to think that it would be, you know, like on the on the hotness list at BGG, just because Travis Jones published something. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, I'm I'm very thankful that that uh, that Jamie, you know, gave the game a chance, um, and then of course put all you know his Stonemaier magic into the production quality and development and everything. Um, so so I think that's why it's getting a lot of attention. Then I, I hope that I mean I just hope that. Uh, with the attention, people play it and have fun with it. That's what I'm hoping for. <laughs> and oh. so I look forward to people getting their hands on the game and giving it a shot um, yeah, and hopefully, no, hopefully enjoying it. Yeah, absolutely. I know I've got my little reminders set for whenever the pre-orders um, open up. I'm going to be, I'm going to be, because I, like I just introduced, introduced you to be, I'm, I'm a Stonemeyer fanboy. I'm the Stonemeyer ambassador for Saskatoon, Canada here. So, Oh, all um, right. Nice. Cool, cool. Yeah, so, when, so whenever there's a Stonemaier, new Stonemaier release, I actually do like a big like release weekend at our local game store at Amazing Stories here, which, which is oh, one nice. of our sponsors. Yeah. And yeah, so like if he, sometimes we, we're able to bring in uh, an early copy, early copies, and we sit down for like a weekend and people can play and maybe get like a 10% discount off to the purchase or something like that. And what I usually do is I just like read through the rules. Um, I usually try to get a copy ahead of time, ahead of time. And so that I can like, I'll, I'll like do like a demo event for everybody. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, cool, ahead cool. Of time. That's so. great. You, you're doing good work. I, I, it's, it's rare these days, just with day job and other schedules and stuff. It's, it's rare for me to, uh, to get a game and learn it, like reading the rules. I'm, I'm so uh, often relying on people just like you who do such great work of mastering it already. I'm fortunate enough to have friends that, that do that. Um, oh. And so then it's so much easier to just, you know, show up at their house and say, all right, well, teach me this game. So then I, I don't have to spend time, you know, trying to sort through it myself. 
it's always easier yeah. with the, with a live teacher. So it's it's great for for people to do that. Although I can't do it as much these days. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> show I, up I my friend's house. Can't just do that unannounced. <laughs> Understandable. Yeah. No, I'm the um. Well, all three of us on the show here were teachers, and so teaching games is like high priority on us. But yeah, yeah. yeah I I like doing the I like doing the rules. So yeah. um. So what we're going to be doing here, um, by the time this episode releases, so we're recording this, oh, what day is it today? The, day is the July 20th, we're actually recording this interview. Um, this, ed- this episode is not going to be releasing until August 1st. So um, at that okay. point, so at that point, um, all the review embargoes are going to be lifted. I believe yep. they're lifting, I believe, a week from today. Yep. And uh, so a lot I of people... I think it's the 29th, I think is what I heard. 29th? But either, either, either way, it would be before August 1st. Uh, when yeah, so, so a lot of people are going to start getting, a, 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 you know, their hands on some, some, some of the content creators. Uh, I know right now um, there's lots of the playthroughs that are going, or the, play, the how to plays are kind of out there and all yep. that stuff. And I, I, I've consumed it all. I, I'm, I'm all in hey, for all right. this one. <laughs> cool. So. But what I want, what we're like wanting to know here is that this is this is going to be like the get to know Travis Jones show. Okay. <laughs> so we 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 well we were we're gonna kind of we're gonna try to crack open that 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 that, that genius brain of yours and see what, what's what's going to make you tick. All right. I hope so, you don't find just some dusty tumbleweeds on the inside. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, because as as teachers, we are always so. Um, well, for me at least, I'm so invested in the the how did it come to this the this point? Like I, I'm I'm always so interested in all those yeah. refinements and everything because my calculus lessons, I've been teaching calculus <laughs> for 12 years now, and I every year it's completely different than the year previous because I'm always making those improvements. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's why we're I'm I'm interested to see how pendulum here has evolved over. I don't even know how many years you've been working on it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so. no, I'm, I'm happy to to talk about the journey, and 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 I love the um, I, I love that approach. Like like when you guys reached out to me, and I I, I read up on you guys. I think I'd heard vaguely about the podcast before, but uh, but hadn't hadn't read up and 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 um, and and seen any details. And that was really cool when I first looked into into it, and I was like, oh, teachers, that's such a cool way to come at games and to think about them in that way, because I feel like games are such a good tool for for teaching period. But then also, like mm-hmm. you said, like, like with the mindset of a teacher of how you, like you naturally got to always be thinking about how to deconstruct things. And I, I feel like I, I do that a lot as a game designer, but I, I would think, you know, in a certain lens, you get that same approach of what are the little components? How do you understand each one and then put it all together? And, and that's endlessly fascinating to me in this part of what you're going to be designed. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, Norm has even done a, an episode in the past too, where he interviewed some game designers and did, he, did that comparison of game design versus educational design uh, yeah they're they're, <laughs> they're 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 very they're almost identical yeah cool yeah so let's start with the background um because as i was doing trying to do some research into the show i'm trying to look up travis jones on the internet and i keep coming across ncaa and nfl football players <laughs> for some <laughs> for some odd reason so you have to actually type in travis jones pendulum to actually get yeah. any information so give us a brief synopsis of um of, of your journey becoming a game designer like um where did you go to school um what careers have you had um oh, okay. up to right. this, you want all the meaty the meaty backstory well yeah, I, I want i want to yeah, yep go for it no no as you say so that's interesting in, in in things people have asked me about about the game um uh, i i rarely get any questions about my day job but i do think there's an interesting intersection that got me into game design, especially the specific space with with what I do in my day job. Interestingly, I wasn't conscious at the time, but looking back on it, I, I think there's there's clearly some 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 parallels. Um, uh, so, but but before I guess before I mention that, so uh, so what what got me um, into game design really is spe- uh, well, I don't want to say specifically, but in a sense, it was really the game Pendulum. So it, it was. Pendulum was the first game that I started to work on. Although compared to what it was when I started, quote unquote, to what it is now, I mean, it's it's very, very different. I mean, it was a complete mess. Of course, everyone's first game is going to be, you don't know anything like game design. So, um, you know, the, the, the first play would be, there, there, there's a core piece that would be recognizable, but so much of it was, um, was not good. 
<laughs> to use the technical <laughs> game design term. Um, so it took a long time for me to develop it. And, and then it really took me, part of the key process for the learning curve was for me was, um, was shifting away and starting to design other games. Because like, this, I made this the first one I was, and then like I said, there was so much that was so bad because I didn't, you know, I wasn't, didn't know much about game design yet. Um, so I kind of like set it aside and, and then he got other ideas and pursued those and I was like, oh, these are so much better. But then I would always come back to it, come back to the original and tinker with it. And I was like, well, if I do this and I change this, this could make it better. And so it was a, it was a long process. So it was like the first idea that came to me was five years ago now. So it's, it's oh, wow. really been a five year process with Pendulum to, to get it, um, you know, ready to be released. So, um, so definitely, definitely a, a, a lengthy journey, but, um, but it was the, the original one that, that got me into it. So I had, I had been a gamer for, you know, years and years. Um, I, uh, I, I grew up, you know, it's all, all sorts of nerdy game. I played D&D and Risk and other, you know, in video games and all that stuff in high school. Uh, but I never really played like Euro board games or got into that very much. I did play like the really old Civilization game a bunch. Me and you know, okay. my high school friends had a whole thing with that uh, for a while. But, um, but I didn't like catch the wave or get into it or hear about it. And it wasn't until like my late 20s, early 30s where someone introduced me to board games. And I was like, where has this been? And why am I not doing this? So I, so I took to the hobby really quickly at that point. So that was, that was like 10 years ago now at this point. Um, but, uh, but I played for many years and never really wanted to do game design necessarily. Um, I, I've always had sort of like this restless creative energy in my life. I, I played played guitar in high school and had a band and then moved on. Um, and the, the, I think the DMV was always a creative outlet in high school too. Um, uh, although I guess I didn't have too much creative going on in my twenties, more just doing day job. Um, but there was always that kind of restless creative energy, like I said. So, so once I did game design for a while, I think this, I had a few ideas that sort of started to germinate, but I never really thought about pursuing it. And it wasn't until the sort of, um, Eureka idea for Pendulum itself hit in my brain that I really started to pursue it. And, and that was the idea, and you can read about some of this in my design diaries. Um, but for those who want the audio version, um, that, that, that idea was, was the, the idea of the real-time game. So I'd, as, as I, I still remember, as I, as I mentioned in one of the design diaries, I still remember the, the day that the idea kind of hit me, the morning it hit me, was after a day of like a long day of board game with some friends that we had over we played all sorts of big crunchy Euro games. I think I remember the last one was Aura and Labora, which is a great game. Um, and you can spend a lot of time thinking about things because uh, there's lots of great decisions, all these buildings out there on the board that you have to read through. So it was just like so much time. I was waiting on friends to take their turns to have some friends that can be prone to AP analysis paralysis, as, as can I, honestly. Full disclosure, yeah. I mean, nothing wrong with that. that, that I'm not, that's, that's, I'm that's not shaming or knocking people with AP because <laughs> I can totally be there and I enjoy that aspect of the game. So, um, I, which was interesting when I put it in the first design diary, I think I saw some some response on the internet. People talking about oh, this is a game to punish AP people or or you know to scare off people with AP, and and that's not really quite the idea because uh, I do that myself. So I wasn't trying to make a game to scare myself off. Um, but but the idea was to try to explore the different ways that you can make a decision in the game. And it's the point of the game, the way or the, the idea behind this version of real time is to, um, it, it, ideally, if it hits the design goal, you know, it's up for people to judge if, I, if we did it or not. But, but the idea is not to just put time on a game and say, go as fast as you can. Um, the idea is, okay, you could take a long time or you can make a quick decision and which one is better and what when how do you make the decision of which kind of approach to take and to sort of challenge you to think about how you think if that sounds weird and meta enough um mm. uh so so you know is it worth it to sit there and think for another couple minutes for your turn um or could you make a quick decision and um you know just take some known benefit uh quickly versus taking the time to think about it and and, and uh, to to ask the players to maybe think about that trade-off um right right yeah not that it's not that it's that explicit in the game at all times but but there's just different ways that I sort of try to price in the time aspect of the game so it's not always just faster is better you can try right. to assign value to it and that opens up this whole interesting space that, that i thought was kind of new and different hopefully yeah, um, so. as an experience for people to play around with. So, so it was that idea that got me into game design. It was just that sort of eureka moment that was like, oh, I want to mm. try to make a real-time game 
where the time is this very different aspect. It's there, but it's not about just going faster. It's about managing and manipulating the time as a resource as part of it. This episode is proudly supported by the amazing team at Breakout Escape and Board Game Lounge from right here in Saskatoon. Using industry-leading technology, Breakout Escape's escape rooms are all 100% uniquely designed by the team, ensuring their patrons have maximum fun while staying safe. As well, they are a fully licensed board game lounge with over 400 titles to select from to ensure fun for every gamer new and experienced. Be sure to check them out at BreakoutSask.com. At Breakout Escapes and Game Lounge, they believe that life is more fun when you play games. Right, because there's lots of those real-time-esque games out there. There's like, like the one that we play in our house is like Galaxy Trucker. It, 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 yeah, it's yeah. one of our. Is the only real-time game that we actually own, and that yeah, that's the time crunch of just pick pieces, put them together as fast yeah, as possible. Yeah, yeah. My brain is going a million miles a minute, and at the end, my ship doesn't look anything like it should have been because I didn't stop to think about anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I'm, I'm just looking at that sand time, and I'm like, ah, it's going down again. Yep, so, yep. so, we, so you're, you're, you're talking about like this game is not meant to induce that kind of, I don't know, what do we call it? Panic. Yeah, I guess. yeah, exactly. And so, um, what, so what did the no, first, no, yeah, what, what did the first iteration of quote unquote pendulum, I think you referred to it as like, um, um, air, air, air to, to the, the empire. empire was the first, yeah, it was first name. Yep. Yeah. So, so what, so what did, what did that look like? Uh, compared to like what was so what, what people are watching right now, now. what oh, did man, that look I, like yeah i remember many f- fond memories of, of the giant mess that it was um so the the core um like real-time part of the game was still there so that, that was the idea that was actually worthwhile and that has lasted you know till now which is why it was worth pursuing as a game and that is um you know, specifically in Pendulum, you have these two rows of action spaces where these timers back, bounce back and forth between them. Um, uh, so that was always the case. That was, that was really like the first vision I had of, of, okay, what if you had these, you know, these two action rows with different areas, you, had, you could have different length of timers so you can make different choices about the time you're spending on actions. Um, and also there's, there's this neat part of the game, I think, that, that came to me early on that, that hopefully makes it feel different in real-time games, which is that there's no rule that says when the sand runs out of, out of a timer, you have to do X, Y, and Z. You know, you don't have to flip it. You don't have to, to do some action or anything like that. That's part of the stress, I think, of the real-time game where, where it's kind of like the rules overhead or the, the process of the game is tied in with the timer running out and it's this trigger point. And I think that adds to a lot of the stress. So that was one neat idea, hopefully, again, up for people to judge, but uh, one neat idea from the beginning that was sort of the inspiration of, okay, well, what if the time were just there and it was up to the players to flip it? And you, the, the idea of the game is to give people a natural incentive to do it. Um, uh, you know, again, I, I sort of talk about pricing and time, and, and I like the idea of using this sort of incentives for, for players. I, I guess this is, this is maybe bleeding into some of my background, which you asked about. I studied economics in, in undergraduate, so, so maybe some of those terms. Oh, cool. I'm using sort of give a hat tip to that, uh, but hope, hopefully it still makes sense for non-economists. But um, <laughs> but but the idea to create this natural incentive for the players to want to flip the timer, but to have it not be required. So you get this very organic feel of of oh, am I going to have time to do that? Do I want to take time to do this? And then the timer flips over, and it's not because the game was you know, the clock was ticking down in the game is because there's this natural incentive that the player across from you wanted to flip it over. And it just feels a little different because it feels like all the players at the table are manipulating time, not that the game is mandating time. Even yeah. though it works out close to the same way, like mostly there's, there's enough incentive that most of the time flippers, timers are getting flipped pretty, um, pretty quickly after the time runs out. Uh, but there can still be little pockets where they sit open. And again, the feel of the game, it, it just feels very different because the other because players are in, are in control. Um, so that was kind of the core of the game that, that was there that has lasted all the way to the end. As for the other stuff, oh man, there was so much. <laughs> like the original <laughs> game, each player, this is, uh, this, I almost feel embarrassed with how bad this game design is, but it's probably an, an interesting story. So a lot of, I think, creative types when you get into game design, you just, you get an idea and then you run with it and you get more and more ideas and they just sort of start coming and you feel like, oh, this is all so great. 
and then you put so much crap into the game. It's way more than anyone could process. <laughs> so the first version of the game, not only was it played in real time, it, it, like, it did have the action spaces, uh, but the action spaces, some of them had like a little bit of text on them because you had to say, you know, like, oh, take one card to do this or something like that, which is a really bad idea. Um, in a real-time game. It's not a great idea even for a non-real-time game. I mean, you want nice, clean iconography. You, if, if you need the right words to explain what's happening, then you probably have too convoluted <laughs> of a game mechanic going on. Um, but then each player had their own personal deck of something like 40-ish 40 40-ish cards that was your own personal deck of cards that you went through over the course of the game. You deal, you pull a new hand and, 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 and discard as you played and draw more hands, more cards into your hand. Um, so, so the final version of the game almost, yeah, and, you know, it has some little tiny piece of that. You have these four cards because I did like the idea of having these cards that are something not related to the timer. So you can fill your time in between, um, if you want playing cards and making extra decisions. And that's an interesting sort of strategic choice. You can lean into the cards more if you like the fast, more decisions to make, and you can lean away from them if you don't want so many decisions. Uh, but anyway, so early on, yeah, there's a 40 card deck. And then again, each card often had text that you had to read. So people were sitting there in real time <laughs> trying to read this rules text, which is such a very bad idea. And they're trying to, to do it like really, really fast. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? So they're not only trying to play fast, they're trying to like read rules fast, which was uh, just bad design. Um, so that was some of the first aspect. Um, there was, what was there? So, so the, the final version has province cards, which have a very sort of standardized flow. Again, the original version, there was these other cards that were, they weren't provinces, they were called major achievements, but they off, they were all different. Sometimes they had text you need to read. And then there was another display for a while that I put in that was like where you visited the Oracle for these like enchantments or something. And they also had text you have to read. It was so, oh, it was so bad. It was such a mess. But in my mind, it was like, because I wrote all the cards, it all was made so much intuitive sense. So when I was oh. playing in real time, I was like, oh, that card, that one, oh, this will help me with that. It all made sense to me. And then I played with other people and they're like, this is, this is, I don't know, not know what's going on. And so, so that was some of the learning curve I had to get over. What's the difference between my experience and a player's experience who is not intimately familiar with these? Um, oh, when you're, when, you're, when you're talking like this, this just reminds me back to my very first um, calculus lesson in my early 20s. And yeah. I wrote it out perfectly. It, is, it was like five, it was like five full scap pages long. <laughs> yep. It was beautifully written out. I understood everything that was going on. And I yeah. remember I got my first, like, and then like a student gave me my first question. I was like, how do you not, I, d I just told you. And I couldn't, yeah, I, yeah. I, 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 could, yep. I couldn't understand the convoluted mess that was on my board. Yes, absolutely. At, so yeah, that's, that's something in many aspects of life, but, but definitely game design too, of, of the challenge <laughs> of getting out of your brain and into someone else's brain. And yeah. there's, you know, there's just like a learning curve to do that and, and to, to put yourself in other people's shoes. And, and once you spend some time designing games, ideally you start to develop that muscle, but it's, it's something you've got to pay attention to and you've got to learn, you know, early on. So yeah, the first, first version of the game did not have that. Although, right. although I will say, I have one good friend of mine who played the very first versions and he still looks fondly back on those. And it's like, oh, I love those early ones. I wish the game could have been in that form. He just, uh, he has a demented <laughs> brain, I guess. And he loved like trying to process all of that information at once. <laughs> like he, oh, he, man. he loved that chaos. So. Cool. Right on. So, okay. So, so we, we had that, so we had that version. So now was there kind of like a, maybe explain to us kind of like the, the, the middle ground now, the kind of like the middle of the road um, version of the game be, between that that, that that early chaos, which actually yeah. sounds very fascinating. I kind of I'm now <laughs> yeah. kind of like thinking about like, ooh, okay, that kind of that's not yep. really okay. Let's jump to like maybe the middle. Yeah, um, sure. What, so so you already mentioned kind of like a lot of the things that kind of you like stayed the same and everything like that. Whereas what were kind of some of the tweaks that you made to try to, you know, maybe improve improve upon that 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 chaos. Yeah, yeah. So there is there's this whole process of refinement of cleaning up um so much of the game that was such a mess like i mentioned you know you can't have text on cards again people trying to shuffle these massive cards massive massive decks of cards in real time i mean don't get me wrong you, you could you can make a real-time game that had some of those aspects that I, that I mentioned it's just that you can't have all of them together <laughs> so i started you know pruning the tree back um and and finding ways to standardize things a lot more so that not only and, and it's I don't want to sell it short. It's with with if if you're if a well-designed game, if you're doing it well, um, 
again, not saying that I always do, but uh, I've, I've had plenty of mistakes on my own. Um, but it's not just that, that you want it standardized or simplified so that the rules are easier to grasp. It's also so that the strategy is easier to grasp. Like, like it's mm -hmm. not just a matter of players knowing how it works, but it's a matter of players, players feeling like they can take ownership and, and see a strategy to, to pursue and execute in the game in the first time that they play. Um, you know, you never want a game that's so complicated and so obtuse that, that the strategy only emerges after you've played it two or three times, uh, you know. Right. Like, Right. more power to you if, if you can if you can get people to play it three times before they feel like they've got a strategy but you you know you need an enjoyable experience the first time through and right. um so i think although i will say i think the middle ground wasn't quite there on that i think for me the middle ground was getting over that first hump of standardizing a lot of things making the rules cleaner or the parts of the game cleaner so that the rules were more intuitive um by about the middle part of the game um it, it had uh like you mentioned, the major achievements, which are now in the final game, are provinces that you conquer, and they're they're the in, they're the key engine building aspect of the game. So I always wanted to have that in there. But again, when there are these major achievements, you had to read these different texts. Well, eventually I got rid of the text, but it was still just sort of different cards. They'd have different building costs. Um, they do different, you know, um, production things or, or different powers on the bottom. Even when the icons were standard, though, it was still hard to get a grasp of what they did and, and again to have a strategy as these cards went out in this row and then went away as other players grabbed them and, and people were like what is it that i should be going for um uh but 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 so eventually i standardized those icons to say okay let's let's have this be you know uh, a, a standard format where you've got four sides on each card and so you can tuck it and you can build these different parts of your engine uh gold culture military um so it sort of ties to some standard resources within the game um and so, so it, it got pretty good and got pretty clean. And then I would take it to prototype conventions, conventions or cons and things like that. And, uh, and, and I play it and the feedback I got was, it was interesting. It was, it was like the, the good but not great level. You know, like, like people would play it and it wouldn't be a mess like it was before. And they'd say, wow, this is really new and clever. Like the way the timers work, that's really neat. Um, and then they sort of nod and say, yeah, that's a really neat game. <laughs> and I'd say, oh, great, it's neat. Is that is that good? Does that mean I should go publish it? Um, right and, uh, you know, eventually it's sort of was like, well, I don't think people are saying, like, this is awesome. You know, like, this is so cool. Like, not only is it neat, but it's so fun. And I did this and I did that. You know, and people wouldn't talk about it afterwards about the cool moves and the strategies and compare. You know, there's there's just sort of this this level of enthusiasm you can kind of see in people that, that um, you get a sense when the game is, you know, is, is really hitting it. Um, right and, and so I say in that middle ground, maybe it wasn't quite there. Um, but right. I cleaned everything up and I did have this really great um, new take on real time. So that, that was there, you know, even at that stage. And that was always the big selling point of the game was it was something people always told me like, wow, this is really unique and different. This is such a new experience. It's not like other games I've played, which was really cool feedback. That was always fun and exciting to be trying to bring to life something that, that gamers who played, you know, 500 games um, were like, wow, and all those 500 games that I played, I'd never experienced something like this. It's really different and new. And, and so that, that part was always really cool. Okay, that, that's cool. Go, okay, because that, that's going to jump right into one of my other points that I had on my mumble-jumbled mess of, of <laughs> notes here. Um, I, 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 like the, I like the interesting part of the, the, the prototyping and the playtesting area. Um, you mentioned like people would often like talk about like the, the things that they enjoyed and that there was, it was very unique and everything like that. Um, did you have any, any, any good constructive criticisms from, from, from the playtesting? And if you wouldn't mind sharing one, one or two of those, because I, I like the constructive criticism part. Well, what, what did some people say that made this game or that, that you took and said, Oh yeah, I can run with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Um, I mean, there was, there was all sorts of good constructive criticism early on. Some people could like point to and say like, I can't read this, these cards and make sense of it in real time. You know, like the early constructive mm. criticism was certainly helpful. And as it got into those middle stages, um, I'm trying to think through, I mean, there's definitely lots of times where I got helpful advice, especially like refining iconography and things like that, where people would say, you know, I thought this meant this or this meant that. And why don't you just have a symbol that does X, Y, Z? Um, so, so, so that was helpful. I remember like, like the action spaces as they evolved, there was some sort of early version. You know, a lot of times there's like these obvious things playtesters can see because as a designer, 
you took something and it was in one form, and then you refined, you got an idea, you changed it, you moved it over here, and 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 it's like, oh yeah, this would be a great change. But but it's like you were never coming at it from scratch like the playtester might. So so I remember at one point the action spaces, I've come up with this refined way to make it clear when you've taken an action with your meeple by moving it down. And so I had this clever idea and I was like, oh yeah, you can move it down to the bottom of the action space. So then it'll be no question about whether you've taken the action. So let me just, you know, I'll, 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 I'll put, a, put in a little spot in the bottom of the action space. So I'll put in a little dash line that was kind of very light at the bottom of the action space that you can move down. <laughs> and at some point someone was like, why is the difference here? Just like this little dash line that barely separates the bottom of the box, which has the same art in it. Like, why isn't it just like totally different? Uh, because because uh, sometimes cool. I'm, you know, I'm not the cleverest tool in the shed. Uh, <laughs> so thank you for the feedback. And let's make just these two very separate boxes with this clear arrow in between them, delineating, you know, some of those obvious iconography. So, so that was some good feedback. Um, uh, and then uh, another, uh, like, speaking of how the game was sort of good but not great, I actually got some really fantastic feedback on one of my play tests right around that time frame. Um, where um, someone who is, he's actually, he, he designed games before, uh, a friend of mine um, who who's, yeah, has some design experience and, and very thoughtful about games. He was a great person to play test with. Um, and he gave some specific feedback around, like when I mentioned those achievements that were just sort of this grab bag of different building costs to give you different powers. Um, even though there's this refined set of resources in the game and you had some engine building aspect to it. And, and he sort of, vocalize the feedback that I think other people have been feeling of, you know, it's hard for me to make sense of what my strategy is and I got these achievements, but why, like, what was I going for? Um, and he was sort of, you know, I wish like the military resource was, there was more like an obvious action space where I like, I go do the military thing and I get military and then I conquer something and like, or why don't I use my culture or my influence or whatever to, you know, um, help with my stratagems and, and, and connect to that more. I, I, I tried to struggle with the details of what he said versus what I interpreted, but it, the point is it was some great feedback that really helped me, um, uh, again, I think take the game to a much better level where people playing for the first time can get a sense of the strategy of, oh, I'm doing the military thing, I go to the military space, I get the military resource, I conquer provinces. Now I need to get more of the blue victory points which are tied to my cards. I'm gonna go get culture, I'm gonna um, re refresh my stratagems and play through these cards. So it made these more like through lines so that people could really feel like the different strategic levers in the game and they could shift between them much more quickly. Because it's hard to do that in real time to say, oh wait, I'm doing the military thing. Now I need some gold. I need to get these other victory points. It had to be like really clear lanes um, that you can kind of shift between. And there's still lots of complexity in how you shift across them. And they're still not completely, you know, 100% clean. There are ways to sort of blend across. So if you have a certain strategy, you can you can still get creative ways to get the other kind of victory points you need. But um, it, it, anyways, that, so that was some really helpful feedback that really, I think, helped take the game to, to another level. Um, right so, so those yeah. were, yeah. Yeah, so, that, so in this part, you mentioned about the, 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 victory, the victory points and, like, and the, the, the final version here has the, the four, four, right? The victory point yep. tracks. Yeah, yeah. Everything like that. At, was, has that part always been right from the beginning too, is that you have to advance on these different victory points tracks to end up if, essentially oh, yeah. winning so the game? Question. So, so that was not the case. So originally it was, there was two victory point tracks, um, actually. Um, there was just one overall track, I think it was called Prestige. And then there was, it was interesting, like really early on, there was actually this negative victory point track called um, Disrepute. And uh, the more, it was something that you accumulated with certain actions and it was like, it was a victory, I guess, I don't know if you'd call it a victory point track, but it was sort of like this resource that you accumulated, but to win the game, you had to get rid of it and it had to be below a certain threshold. Um, so, I mean, so mathematically it was different, so you'd have to take it down, but effectively it's the same thing. You sort of have these two tracks that you're having to manage. So that was there early on because I found in a real-time game that people could, it was really easy to just get laser focused on something and just sort of be like, oh, this little trick gets me points. I'm just gonna do this over and over again. And people would sort of get in a rut. And, and that really, you know, while in a sense they, they chose to take those actions, it's still made for an unfun experience. For them. That's part of what you gotta, you know, do as a designer. We just talked about good specific feedback you can get, but sometimes it's reading between the lines of, you know, this person really didn't have fun, even though, you know, and, it, and it's because they were making choices that 
my game led them to do. So, so they were sort of, they felt like they were doing what they were supposed to, but it led to not being a fun experience. You've got to figure out ways that your game may be doing that. Um, uh, so, so, so anyway, so, 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 so early on, I always realized like it, it's much more interesting of a game if you have to, you kind of have to uh, spread your focus or, or, or have to juggle more than one, one trick. You know, if, if you've got to mm -hmm. find a couple different strategies or different action pathways that you've got to go down. That was where you get this really rich, interesting engagement with the game. So it was two tracks for a really long time. And then I think around the time that I just mentioned, um, uh, where, where I really tried to build these clear strategic pathways, I think it was actually with that is when I flipped and said, well, why do I have these three different sort of action pathways that feed the one victory point track? Why don't I break that in three? So you've got to get the different victory point tracks up and then the, the one legendary team which is the fourth track but it works very differently it's just a one-time thing that you've got to get um so so yeah so 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 the idea of having to juggle tracks was there early on but it wasn't until later where it split into three which i think is a much more satisfying play experience because it really sort of gives you those themes that tie in with the actions that are Cool. Yeah, because then one of the next things that I really kind of enjoy seeing from some of the playthroughs already is the is the asymmetry between um, players as, as they're playing. As you got the, I believe it's the five different player boards that are both double sided, yeah, yeah. and kind of like the one at more advanced version, they all have their 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 victory point tracks are all different lengths of the of the different of the different ones, minus the the fourth one, which is just the one bump. Yeah. But uh, yeah. but they're all um was that all when when you kind of started this shift into like hey i'm gonna have the multiple victory point tracks um did they always just start at the same they were all the same length and then they yeah, evolved yeah. into like having that, that was lengths? later yeah that was later on and it was around the time where i came up with the different uh victory point tracks is really when when that sort of fired off some of the ideas about asymmetry um, so yeah, the first version of the game, they didn't have asymmetrical characters. Um, it, it, when you just had the one or two victory tracks, um, everyone just sort of started the same standard kind of Euro game um, with everyone on even footing. Because um, I enjoy both kinds of games. I mean, I enjoy games without asymmetry, um, but, the, but I do enjoy games where there's interesting asymmetric characters. And I thought, especially in a real-time game, um, I think um, it, the asymmetry really benefits the play experience because um it it it's i mean it's difficult to to follow every move of another player there's definitely points of interaction in the game with how worker spaces get blocked um how you're all competing for votes in the council phase and players that i've played with will actually look around and see oh this person got a lot of votes this person doesn't so there's there is interaction but don't get me wrong there there's there's not enough space to just stare at your opponent's board and say, oh, what are they points that they have and where are their workers right now and what exact actions are they taking one after the other? Um, you know, so you, you, can't, you can't pay that much attention. So I think that when everyone is on even footing, um, it gives people this sort of, um, I don't know, like FOMO almost of, you know, you're missing out on like, well, what is he doing? What, are, what is she doing? What are the different players doing, given they had the exact same starting space than I did? And how come they're better or they're doing better this or I'm doing better that? So once you have your own character, it, it relieves, alleviates that stress a little of like, well, I've got my own puzzle to solve. Uh, you know, I'm still going to look at how my opponents were doing are doing for getting close to victory points, but I'm not going to worry so much about every little move they make. And I'm going to, because I know I need my own unique strategy from my game. So I feel like it fits the, the real-time experience a lot better. So everyone has, you know, a slightly different character and there's limited points, control points where you get the interaction. So you don't feel like you're just playing solitaire. Um, but you also don't have to worry about watching every Right on, yeah, and and you meant you mentioned that 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 council phase. That's the one part that I found was really really was really interesting because you have this resource um, of collecting votes yeah. into into this council phase and everything like that. And I, I think I met, I think I heard or read something somewhere along the line that that wasn't always part of it. That Pendulum or Heir to the Empire was kind of like just this, this one really long game where people were just taking <laughs> yes. turn after turn after turn after turn after turn, and there was yes. like and there was like no breaks. I forgot to mention in, that in the uh, action. When you asked me about how bad the first version was, I should have mentioned that because that was absolutely the case. The very first version, it was like 45 or 60 minutes of playing a game with no breaks. You just go and go and go. And I don't know why it didn't occur to me that, hey, people, people would like a break. Uh, but that was early on was like, oh, you just sit there and you'll just play. And at some point I had what I thought was this clever idea 
where in order, in order to win or something, to get some certain victory point, you had to, um, there was like this action space called like the Winter Festival or something like that. And you had to get all, you take all of your workers and stick them on this spot. And it was like, a, it was like the highest time or like the three minute spot. So my thinking was like, well, at some point in the game, you have to put all your workers there and you'll have three minutes. You can like run in the bathroom or something like that. And take a break. <laughs> that, was, that was my clever idea, which I thought was so like creative, which was horrible. It just created this confusion where you'd be playing this real-time game. And at some point, the person across would just get up and walk away. You're like, what are they? <laughs> I mean, I knew what was happening, but other players would be like, what, where is she going? Is she, is she done playing the game? And it's like, no, no, she's doing the winter festival action. So this is the one time she has time to take a break. You just keep playing your game. It was, uh, it was awful. Um, but I mean, it was, it was creative. It was different, but, but yeah, not so good. So eventually I was like, no, no, let's just build in a trigger point that will let everyone just take a break, um, catch the breath process. It's not only catching your breath and like being able to go to the bathroom, you know, although that's, don't get me wrong. That's an important part of, of a game. Um, <laughs> but it's also the social interaction. You know, you can't chit chat as much, um, in a real time game. I'm able to do it, uh, because I played the game a few times. So, so I can, you know, I sort of can manage my strategy and there's enough time that I can sort of like talk smack or whatever and, and, and chit chat with other players in the real time, but still not, not too much. So the counselors phase is where like when I play with my friends who, who played it, um, you know, several times uh, prototyped or whatever, that's when like we all take a break and it's like, you look at how they're doing and how you're doing. You, you talk trash about how you're doing, your game's going on or, or just ask, you know, like, oh, it's interesting. It's not always talking trash. Just ask, oh, so you look like you're doing a different strategy. You're really using the cards this time or doing that. Um, so it gives people a break to kind of chat about the game or chat just social stuff too and just catch up with your friends. And that's part of playing a game, right? So so those breaks are an important part, I think, to making it an overall satisfying experience for sure. Yeah. And now one of the other things I saw that that's kind of built into this one is that you don't actually have to play this one in with with the real-time aspect of flipping the sand timers. You kind of have you also have this the separate, I'm gonna call it a mode where you can just actually just kind of just track the round with like a little marker and say, Oh, yeah. we're at, we're at this point now. We're at this point now. Just kind of like, I don't, was, was that, was that something when you, when uh, the game was signed with Stonemeyer that was kind of introduced or. Yeah. So that, that was a later development. Um, yeah. You talk about the stages of the game. So I think it was, it started awful. And then I, I went through, you know, uh, a year or two of cutting it down and getting it good. And then some really insightful, um, helpful feedback, and and sort of, um, you know, further kind of reading through the reading through, you know, what players were experienced to get it to where it's finally like, uh, hopefully, a really fun um, experience playing a real time game. But then there was still plenty more refinement that it needed to go through, and that was what you know, basically it was it was at that stage that I signed it with Stonemeyer, um, and then we did more development, more ways to refine it you know, putting it into his blind playtest network got us a lot more interesting feedback and everything on what people's experiences were playing the game without me to sit there and teach them. I mean, I, we, I, I did do that a couple times in order to pitch it to Stonemeyer. Uh, one of the things he requires is to make sure you, you've tested your game a couple times with someone else teaching. Um, and so some people need the sort of untimed experiential aspect to master the moves. And some people get it because they hear someone tell them the rule and then they sort of project it in their brain and, you know, so, so anyway, so, so people learn different ways and that's when we realized, okay, we really need to come up with a way for people to learn and, and be able to play the game um, without the real-time pressure immediately. Travis, this has been amazing. I have learned so much just in this short amount of time, just from our um, brief discussion. People said that this, there, there, there's something here. There, there's something special about Pendulum. Thank you, Travis, for everything that you, for this, this has been a lot of fun. All right. Now I've enjoyed it too. I really appreciate you having me on. Um, and, and thanks for some, some, some cool, thoughtful questions, some great discussions. This episode is proudly supported by Mr. Dice Guy online board game retailer located right here in Saskatoon. Mr. Dice Guy is always stocking the hot new titles as well as restocking all time favorites. They even have a ding and dent section for previously played titles. They offer free shipping across Canada on all orders over $200 or free local pickup if you're in the Saskatoon area. Check them out at MrDiceGuy.com. Saskatoon's Mr. Nice Guy is Mr. Dice Guy.
that takes us to the time at the uh, of the of the episode where we say thank you very much for listening to us. I am your host Norm. I'm Ryan. I'm Ian. And we will catch you later. We are Bridge City Board Gamers, and you can find us on Twitter at BC Board Gamers, on Facebook, Bridge City Board Gamer Community, and on YouTube at Bridge City Board Gamers. You can also find us on BGG Guild Number Three Zero Three Nine.